Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Hey, Venture. Coming into this weekend, there are so many events going on in our country. And uh, I'll just say, honestly, for me, it has been very saddening. Uh, When I saw the video of George Floyd as he lost his life, and when you realize those are not isolated events, and then you see the protest, and in some cases, rioting, and the loss of life and the impact in cities all across our country, from Minneapolis down to Atlanta, Washington, D.C., and here in San Jose, and then when I heard a police officer in Oakland was killed in it. These are troubling times. And as I thought about a statement and how to address this, I found some words from Tony Dungy. I've always respected Coach Dungy, uh, former coach in the NFL, but strong Christian and has become a strong leader in our country in his voice. And I wanted to read his statement because as he writes this as an African-American, he can write it with some perspective and some power that frankly, I can't. I want you to hear as he says, America is in a very sad place today. We've seen a man die senselessly at the hands of the very people who are supposed to be protecting our citizens. We've seen people protest this death by destroying the property and dreams of people in their own community, the very people they are protesting for. We have many people pointing fingers of blame, painting the opposite side with a broad brush. We have anger and bitterness winning out over logic and reason. We have distrust and prejudice winning out over love and respect. What happened to George Floyd was inexcusable, and it should never happen. Justice needs to be served. But in seeking justice, we can't fall into the trap of prejudging every police officer we see. What started out as peaceful protests have devolved into arson and looting, And that should never happen either. Yes, there should be protests, but we do not have license to perform criminal acts because we're angry. Today, we're a divided country. We're divided racially, politically, and socioeconomically. And Satan is laughing at us because that is exactly what he wants. Dysfunction, mistrust, and hatred help his kingdom flourish. Well, what is the answer then? I believe it has to start with those of us who claim to be Christians. We have to come to the forefront and demonstrate the qualities of the one we claim to follow, Jesus Christ. We can't be silent. As Dr. King said many years ago, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. But we can't go forward with judgmental, bitter spirits. We need to be proactive and do it in the spirit of trying to help make things better. And it can't just be African-American churches. It has to be all churches taking a stand and saying, we're going to be on the forefront of meaningful dialogue and a meaningful change. We have to be willing to speak the truth in love, but we have to recognize that we're not fighting against other people. We're fighting against Satan and his kingdom of spiritual darkness. In the words of the Apostle Paul, from Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Guys, that's a powerful statement, and I agree with him. 
We as a church, we have to speak up where we see injustice. We as a church, we have to step forward and be on the forefront of change. And that will never happen, and this will never be dealt with apart from a movement of God. And so before we get into a message where I'm going to preach about the church and the future of the church, I think it'd be good to take a minute and pray about the sins of the past and the sins of the present and the issues we're dealing with. Will you pray with me? Father, I do come and uh, I pray for our country. I pray for our community. Lord, our, our hearts are grieving for what we're seeing for the lives that are lost, for the communities that are being destroyed. Lord, we grieve with George Floyd's family and just all that they've gone through to to see a, a son, a brother in his final moments and to have it on the forefront. Lord, we pray for our police officers. We thank you. I thank you of so many police officers I personally know who love you and who are dedicated to protecting every single person. Lord, where there is injustice, whether it's in systems, whether it's in our hearts, whether it's as people, whether it's in our church, Lord, would we be willing to humbly confess, to humbly dialogue, to learn and grow together? God, this needs your touch, your gospel, your grace. And so we plead for our country today, and we pray that you would move and that it would begin with us as a church. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we think about the church, and especially the church in these kind of times, And again, every week we've been talking about this strange time we live in. It it feels like it's getting stranger. You just see more happening. And and in that, I can't help but think, as even Coach Dungy referenced, Satan is working. But i got to believe God is working. And and hear me, because this is my conviction. When God chooses to work, he has chosen to work through his people, his church. He's called us. He's made us for times like this. And so when the times become the way they are, it means the church has to step forward that much more and be the church he's called us to be. But what does that look like? I mean, when you you think about it, what, what is the perfect church for a time like this? Or maybe what's the best church? You know, we're not here together, so you don't have to humor me. Just think in your mind. You might say it out loud. What's the best church you think of in this country right now? Maybe the best church you were ever a part of. And sometimes it's based on leadership or gifting. may have been programs. A lot of times it's based on the people that were there or the season in your life. We can debate best all we want because it's a real subjective title. But if you wanted to go back in history, I can go back to one time period where I could declare definitively the best church on the planet at that time. And that was a church in Jerusalem in the book of Acts. When the book of Acts begins, and the reason I can say it's the best church, it was the only church. It was the church that Jesus launched right before he ascended in that. 
And, and in it, and this is why we often go back to this church, and I think it's important to go back in history because it teaches us now. We go back to this church because we learn from it. What are the ideals that we're trying to hold on to? In fact, if you look in your notes, you can see it stated there, a great church is marked by key indicators. Key indicators that we see all the way back at the beginning. And, and I'm going to look at a few verses in Acts when Jesus launched the church. We're going to walk through several passages pretty quick today. And I'd encourage you, make sure you go back and study it on your own. If you look at it in the book of Acts, when Jesus launched the church in Acts 1.8, he told his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is a spiritual movement. It's based on what Christ did on the cross. It wasn't just an organization. It's an organism that he's launching that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. We're starting here. And then Judea, the surrounding region. Then Samaria. We're going to cross cultural lines even. The people you don't like, the people you look down on, we're going to go to Samaria. And before it's all over, we're going to go to the ends of the earth. If you look at next chapter in it, it describes this church, and this is a verse we go to often. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And that was the Bible at that time. Remember, they didn't have the written New Testament. And so when the apostles taught, that was God's word. So they devoted themselves to God's word. They devoted themselves to fellowship, koinonia, this relationship together, doing life together. To breaking bread, they shared meals, they shared communion. They did it in their homes. And then prayer. They were a people of prayer. Look at these core commitments out of it. And then if you look over in the next verse that we see in Acts, in Acts 4, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Man, they were unified together. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they held everything in common. They were so generous as they shared with each other. Now, if you take all these verses, look, look at the distinguishing characteristics, and we see it here. Here's the marks of a great church that we go back to. One, it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is a movement of God. You can't manipulate it. You can't make it happen. God has to do it. And that's always true with the church. The only reason we're the church is we are people who've been forgiven by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And in that moment, it's not just an act of forgiveness, but it's also the Holy Spirit empowers us. He enters us and he connects us to each other. And he gives us power for this church to go out. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's missional focus outward. It's, it was from the time it was launched, it was always launched outward. Notice how he described it to him. He said, you will be my witnesses. Witnesses. You're going to point people to me. It's not, and, and, and he could have described this a lot of ways. He could have said, you're going to be my worshipers. You're going to be people that you're always known for how you gather and worship. You're going to be my teachers. You're going to be known for how you teach and the depth of it. You're going to be my workers. Now, notice when he launched it, and Jesus is very accurate and distinct in it, you're going to be witnesses. You're always pointing people to me. And we're always going to be outward focused. Now, with that, they're committed to the teaching of the Bible. Man, a great church is committed to the Bible. And I'm going to tell you, this is always true in history. When a church starts to drift away from the teaching of the Bible, when a church starts to move away from how God has laid things out in Scripture and starts changing with the times instead of sticking with the truth, that church always dies. 
When you drift, you die. You look it up. Any denomination, any group, when they start drifting in that way, they start dying because a church has to stay committed to the Bible. There's strong community and relationships at Koinonia. This is what we're missing right now. Man, we miss the opportunity to be together. We miss sharing life together. We feel it. And, and as much as anything, I hope this season has produced in you maybe that longing again that you go, man, I do love the people of this church. I do love being together. Some of the things I used to complain about, oh man, I have to go to that or I have to be in that and do that. I'm looking at them now and I go, man, I would long to do that. And, and you realize how important people are. They had a fervent prayer life. That They prayed because they knew the whole thing was a miracle. They had nothing to fall back on. They, they had no big budget. They had no programs. They had no building. They had nothing else. And, and they knew this whole thing called church is a miracle. So if God doesn't move, we got nothing. And they prayed fervently. And I'm going to tell you, when you have desperate prayers, you know what happens? You have dynamic results. And their desperation prayers yield this dynamic church and the fruit of it. They were evangelistically bold. In fact, you'll read in it, they would pray often, man, we got to pray for more boldness. we got to share more. And again, this is the advantage of being the underdog. This is the advantage of being the outcast. When you have no one else, when you're it, you have to tell everybody about it. You know this thing's going to die out in a generation. We're it. And so they have a nothing to lose mentality when it came to sharing Jesus. We don't care what people think about us. We don't care what the world thinks. They have to know about Jesus. And then that last part, their, their generosity, their sharing, where, where they took it and they shared with each other. They, they gave of it. And, and I, I got to be honest, this season we've been in right now, to me, it's been the closest I've seen to that dynamic of Acts 2 and 3 and 4 of how people are sharing right now, your generosity right now. When I look at a COVID fund in our church, that it, it's up over like 210,000 that our church has given on top of your regular giving. And we've been able to share it with people and individuals and groups. And being a part of that team and hearing the stories of those who are in need and as a church being able to come forward with resources. I'll tell you, it feels like acts again that I go, yeah, this is what it's like. This is what it's for. Guys, it's a great church. It's a dynamic church. But it's not a perfect church. You know, it's interesting as you look through the book of Acts, something funny starts happening. That this great church, as great as it is, it starts getting a little stuck. Here's the next point I'd say in your notes. Any church, even the best of churches, can get stuck. You start reading through the book of Acts, as great as what was going on, they start getting stuck a little bit. And you read in those chapters as they start dealing with different issues. Now, how did they get stuck? Three things that you see over it, and we won't look through that. I'd encourage you to read, especially at the beginning of Acts chapter 6. One, they get stuck. How do we maintain this community of believers? How do we keep everybody together? And as you read through it, and especially in the New Testament, they started struggling with issues of racism especially being a strong Jewish base. And now we have Gentiles and people from different countries and different practices and different belief systems and the way they do things. And they struggled with it. How do we maintain that? They struggle with legalism. This is what you do and this is what you don't do. 
And they really struggled. I mean, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, well, you have to start through Judaism and you have to be circumcised. You have to do these rules and that rule. And they start struggling with that. They struggled with just administrative issues. We're suddenly taking care of a bunch of people. We got widows from different countries and the widows from this country are being cared for. The widows over here are not. And they start appointing new officers with that. They start relying on their key strengths so much. Remember the church in Jerusalem, the apostles are there. They have the key leaders. Jesus' little brother, James, he's the leader of the church. And, and as you look at this church in Jerusalem, it was known specifically for their doctrinal strength. Because they're having to figure out, what do we believe as a church? What is God telling us through this? And as they establish this doctrine and what it means for the church, that focus starts to dominate the church. Now, it was a good thing. It's going to be needed through the book of Acts. People are going to come back to it time and time again. Hey, what does the church in Jerusalem say? But, but here's what you'll find in that. In that doctrinal focus, they start losing that missional outward orientation. When you're focused on surviving, when you're focused on doing life together as a community, when you're focused on the administration here, over time you see these good things that they had, they start getting a little stuck. It's easy to get stuck in good things. You know, one of the best pictures I heard of this is a young man who worked for the DeBellis Corporation. This is a corporation that would provide chocolate confectioner for different other companies and, and candy makers. And, and he was there working one day and there was a vat of chocolate and he needed to unplug it. And so he went into this kind of molten chocolate to unplug it and, and it started to seize up a little bit and it started to fill up more. And suddenly he found himself up to his waist in chocolate and it was thick enough that it was like quicksand. And as it was filling, you can feel the panic as they couldn't get him out. Now, some of you right now, you go, if I'm going to go, that's how I want to go. If I can die in a vat of chocolate. They were able to liquefy it enough, finally get him out with a few minor injuries. But when I think about that picture, I, I think it's a great picture, both of this church and what can happen to a church. You have all these good things around you. But even in the good things, you can find yourself suddenly stuck. Now you go, well, Tim, you're kind of being harsh on this church in Jerusalem. Why would you say they're stuck? Well, here's the key reason I would say. See, as we're reading through the book of Acts, when you come to chapter 6, you come to chapter 7, what, what you need to realize, this is over the course of six, seven years. About seven years later. And here we are seven years later, and they're still the church in Jerusalem. Remember when Jesus said he was going to launch his church? He, he said, it's not going to just be Jerusalem. It's, it's going to be in Judea and Samaria and the whole planet. But somewhere along the way, with so much growth, with people coming to Christ, we're trying to integrate, we're trying to do programs, trying to do all that they were doing, trying to make sure the doctrine was established, trying to survive in the big bad culture, and they were under real persecution. Somewhere in that, they just stayed in Jerusalem. They lost that outward. Look what God does. God uses disruptive and even difficult events to accomplish his plans. Guys, God is willing to disrupt. God is willing to use even hard events, world events, 
Now, again, we don't blame him. We don't say, oh, man, he's the cause and it's his fault. Here's what's great about it, though. When those difficult, when those harsh events, when those hard things come along, God goes, okay, how do we redeem it? How do we use this to actually bring a good thing that wouldn't have come otherwise? And only God can pull that off. And, and in this church, they, they start to face some hard events. If you look at Acts chapter 7, one, one of the most devastating chapters you'll ever read is Acts 7, the death of Stephen, this young leader in the church who was stoned. It's a gruesome death. There's nothing good about that death and, and the persecution that they faced in it. And, and, and can we right now, could you just do me a favor? I know right now we're struggling because we can't meet and we can't gather. We're struggling with where, where are our rights as citizens and how do we balance all that. But when I hear the word thrown around a little bit that we're being persecuted as a church, could we save that word, persecution, for people like Stephen? Could we save it for people in countries where if you gather at all, you get arrested? If you have church at all, you get arrested? You're not allowed to broadcast like that. You're not allowed to do the things we're allowed to do. And again, hear me, I'm not diminishing the fact that I always, always want us to be careful. I'm thankful for those who speak up and make sure that we have the freedoms that we have in this country. But guys, come on, let's get perspective. They were facing a persecution that we haven't. Now, maybe we will, but we haven't. But even in that, look how God uses it. Look at the persecution that comes. And there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. Now, can you imagine their perspective? That, that here they are, and this persecution comes. And when that persecution comes, i got to imagine they're here. The church is having to scatter. We can't meet anymore. We can't do this. We can't be here. They can only keep a core base in Jerusalem there because the persecution is so great. And you got to know that some people in that church, I'm sure when that happened, they had to look at each other as they're scattering, thinking it's over. Man, this has been good, but it's over. And yet from God's perspective, no, no, we're just beginning. We're just getting going. Because remember when Jesus commissioned them, what did he say? He said, oh, we're going to do it here in Jerusalem, but then next we're going to go to Judea and Samaria. And so even when this persecution, this disruption comes, look where they go. They're scattered to, go back to the verse here, they're scattered to Judea and Samaria. See, it's accomplishing what God wanted to do. God is able through this to accomplish his plans. He's able in this. And, and guys, we've got to embrace that as a church and as a people. We are in the middle of a disruptive event like I've never seen in my lifetime. I mean, think about it. Society as we know it has come to a stop for the last few months. We've not met as a church nationwide. We've not been able to collectively gather together. Now, we've been able to meet together through this medium, but, but it's disruptive and we feel it. And we feel it emotionally. And we feel the outbreak. And you feel how people are responding in this time. I'm not saying this is good any more than I would say the persecution they went through is good. But I got to believe that God is using this for his church. And maybe it's to force us to step out in some new ways. Now, I know that scares some of you. You, you don't like the change of it. 
And you kind of hear it. In fact, one person told me, they, they sent a note that said, could you just stop saying new normal? Every time you say new normal, it just scares me. I, I don't like this. I don't like where we are. And, and I get that. I understand it. So I, I entitled this next wave, not new normal. And, and nothing we're in right now is normal. And we don't know what the next wave looks like. But I promise you this, God's going to work through it. And, and he did it in that time period. He did it in the church. In fact, when God works, look at the next point here. God's new work builds on the past, but it embraces change for the future. Here's a great thing about how God does things. He takes what was the past. We don't lose the good of the past. But he says, hey, let's bring a new wave of what I can do. And the coolest thing you see in the book of Acts, as much as I like the church in Jerusalem, I like the church in Antioch even more. See, as they, as they start spreading out, New churches have to form. And about 300 miles up the road from Jerusalem in the city of Antioch, it's the third largest city in the world. It's this very innovative city. It's a very pagan city. It was known as a sexual city. So much so that the people in Rome were worried that the values of Antioch would ever infect Rome. And so if you know how pagan Rome was, then Antioch must be really bad if they're worried about that. It was a multicultural city. And then in this city, God says, you know what? We need a new church. Look how it describes it. So Barnabas, Barnabas was one of the leaders. He wasn't an apostle, but he was a leader in Jerusalem. He went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and they taught a good many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So, so they'd start gathering together. This is the very first time this title is used, Christians. This is where it comes from, Antioch. Look a couple of chapters later. Now there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers. Look at the leadership team. They have Barnabas. He's from Cyprus. Simeon, who was called Niger, is from part of Africa. He's a person of color. Lucius of Cyrene, a Cyrenian. Mananian. He was a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, Herod the ruler in Israel. This is one of his buddies from childhood. And Saul, this new radical leader who's been converted. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. Now, if you look in this, in this disruptive wave, here's all the things that God's doing that leads up to this church. He, he sends Philip out to a desert road, and while he's there, he runs into an Ethiopian, and the Ethiopian comes to Christ because God says, you know what? It's time for the gospel to go to Africa in a new way. And then Saul, this guy who's persecuting the church, God converts him. Jesus Christ meets him on the road because God says, hey, I need a new leader. And he was the last guy anybody in the church would have picked, but he's the guy that God looks at him and goes, oh man, he's wired perfectly. Look at that passion. Look how radical he is. Man, if he got turned around for the good news, look what he could do. And he became the greatest of the apostles. You look at Peter who has a dream one night and God says, hey, Peter, all this food that you don't think you're allowed to eat, you can eat it now. And Peter says, no, 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 God, that's against the rules. And God said, I make the rules. And I'm expanding a new work. Oh, oh yeah, and the people you didn't think you could have in your home and have at your dinner table, they're allowed now. See, in all this disruption, God says, it's time to start expanding the boundaries of the church, the thinking of the church. 
the movement of the church. And let's plant a new church in Antioch. And look at the new things that mark this church. Just look at the list of it. You have a new leadership team. Notice when I went through that list, there were no apostles there. Now Saul will become an apostle to the Gentile. But it's new leadership. It's new people. We always have to be open. God's always raising up new leaders. And if we're not, we're not part of the next wave of what he's doing. Look as well. There's influence and impact in the city. They were called Christians. You know what that means, that line means? They didn't name themselves Christians. That's what the city called them. There's this radical group, and they're meeting over there, and, and they're a little bit different. No, they're, they're, they're not Jewish in their belief system. It's a different belief system. Man, we got to call these guys something. And so Herodians were people that were really followers of Herod. Caesareans were people that loved Caesar. And so they go, hey, let's call them Christians because they're just crazy about this guy called Christ. They've made their life about him. And, and I love that, that they're so identified with who Jesus is. But I also love it's the city that's got to come up with a name for him. And we got to call them something because their presence is being felt in it. They're multicultural in their leadership team. They got a person of color. They got a guy from Cyprus. They got a Cyrenian. They got this former Pharisee, Saul, who's about to become Paul. They got Barnabas. They got this team here that you look at it, Manan, who grew up with Herod. You want to talk about a diverse leadership team ethnically, socioeconomically, in every way. They show the diversity of the church. They have new models of ministry. Instead of just waiting for it to merge, huh, crazy, what if we sent out missionaries? What if we got proactive and active in that? And they're outward in their focus. They're willing to take their two best guys, Barnabas and Saul, the ones who had been teaching them. And when the Holy Spirit says, yeah, I want you to send them, they go, hey, let's send them. Let's let go of them. Don't you imagine it would have been easy as a church to go, uh, you can't send Barnabas, you can't send Paul. They're our favorite teachers. Who's going to take care of us? Who's going to teach us? No, they looked at it and said, hey, we'll release them. God's doing this new thing. And there are people that have never heard. Do, do you feel this new wave in this church? Now, it's all the good that was there before. But, but with it now, God's doing this new thing. And he uses this disruptive time in order to launch it. Guys, as we conclude, here's a question for us. Are we open to God's new work and willing to embrace new models of ministry? Are we open to the new work God wants to do through us? And with that new work, there'll be new models, new ways of doing it that we've not done before. I think the person who best describes this is Jesus. Jesus told us as well, he says, neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. If you took wine, new wine especially, it still was fermenting, yet it would expand. And if you put it in an old dry wineskin, when it started expanding, it would break that wineskin. So you'd have to put new wine. Look at it. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins so that both are preserved. 
this new wine, this new work, this new movement of God, this Holy Spirit thing that only he can do. Because remember, it's his church. But he puts it into new wine skins, new models, new ways of holding it, new ways of expressing it. And that is exactly where we are, guys. See, I believe God in this disruptive time wants to do a new work through his church because the world needs it. But to do that new work, we have to embrace the new wineskins too. Now, as I say that, you go, well, Tim, are you saying that we'll never gather? Are you saying the things I love about church are just gone? Remember, when God does the new, he always builds on the good of the old. He doesn't discard it. And so it's like from Jerusalem to Antioch in the same way. Man, there's so many good things that we will never let go of as a church. But the ways that we do it, and a missional orientation, an outward focus, has to be core to who we are. See, I think God is moving in these new ways, and they're good ways even in this time period. When I look at how we do church now, see, in the past, church really for us was this gathered church the gathered collective. And in the future, and hopefully not too far away, we'll be able to gather like that because there's a power in being able to do that. But with that, you know what's happened during this time period? We now are meeting in our own homes. And if you're praying about anything, you know, the next thing I'm asking for our government to open up is just, could they open up that small groups could meet in homes? That more of us could do home church. And maybe watch the service together and then share a meal and do life. And that's church, your expression of church in that. And that might become your regular expression of church as you share that with other families. And then now we've got this whole new medium of a digital church that we're able to offer this worldwide. We're able to come to you. We're able to come to people in all different time periods. And the power of that, and you may look at it and you go, yeah, well, but digital, that, I mean, it doesn't compare to the collective gathering. They each are different in ways, but instead of discarding any one of them, what if we embraced and said, okay, God, you've given us new wineskins. How do we use this for your kingdom? How do we use this to outwardly share with others? How do we use this to help our body? You know, I was thinking about it. Even faithful church attenders, if you track over the last few years, it used to be someone was considered a faithful church attender if they attended three to four times a month. And then national numbers, they kind of trended down to two to three times a month. You know, now, in the last few years, if you attend one to two times a month a church, you're considered a faithful church attender. What if through these new medium, whether it's home church, whether it's digital church, whether it's collected church here, what if God had said, you know what, it's time for my people to go to church every week and there's no excuse not to. And we're going to remove any of the barriers and deliver it in a way because we need that consistency in our life. What if God wanted to launch a prayer movement? You know, I've been part of the Wednesday night prayer meeting we have. And you know, every Wednesday night, we have about 150 to 200 of us that gather on Zoom. We have missionaries from around the world. We have people who are sending in their prayer requests. We pray, and it has been the most consistent, largest prayer meeting I've been a part of in this church that I can remember. And that's been enabled because of the technology and how we do it. That even if the doors open tomorrow and we could launch it here, I would not suggest we move that prayer meeting to this campus because our attendance would plummet and people's ability to engage would go down. I would much rather use this new wine skin because there's new wine that's coming out of the power of those prayers. 
When I see 326 kids sign up for a digital vacation Bible school and attend it this week, when I see small groups who always struggled staying together, realizing, wait, we could meet in person, but we also could meet online together, and we can use this in a new way. When I see our ability to share this message, to share our service, to invite people with it, to be outward in our focus, all of these, these new opportunities. And I want to encourage you, over the next few weeks, we're going to call you outward. We're calling everybody to attend venture watch parties. Now, we hope those watch parties will be where you can gather in homes with two or three, maybe other families, 10 to 20 people. Right now, we don't have permission for that. So your watch party is either individual or with your family, but it's what you do in that is you engage in the service and then you share in a meal and you think about what God's doing in that as we build these new rhythms of life. In fact, we've printed up yard signs for everybody in venture. We want you to put a yard sign out in your yard. It identifies, hey, I'm part of Venture Christian. It tells people to text how they can watch and either go to a watch party that's near them or just engage online. So it gives you a way of inviting others without you having to say a word. It has a little symbol on there, I love my church, because we want our city talking about us the way they talked about them in Antioch. Man, who are those people? Man, they're about Jesus. And so we'll ask in the next week or so, you're going to hear, everybody can get a yard sign. You can hopefully come pick one up. We can have a drop-off station. Or if, better be careful. I may come around and just put it in your yard. Because we need to declare in that. I'm excited in two weeks, we're going to launch a new series. And it's specifically focused, how do we invite people that might have core questions? And, and the title of the series is A Case For. And we want to make a case for. Case for why would you ever believe the Bible? case for why would you ever trust Christ? A case for miracles. Do miracles really happen? And, and here's where I'm excited. We are partnering with Lee Strobel. And if you know Lee Strobel, he's written several books, The Case for Christ, Case for Faith. He, he was an, uh, a reporter, an atheist, skeptical of Christianity, radical change in his life. He's one of the best people at, at, at explaining these things. We're having him for two messages and some Q&A that we'll do through technology, through Zoom, through you sending in your questions, but a great opportunity for you to invite somebody to go, man, you got to hear this. In fact, I'd encourage you right now in preparation, you ought to go on Netflix and watch the movie A Case for Christ and just, just see Lee's story in that. That's coming. We'll start that series in a couple of weeks. See, guys, in all these things, here's what I want you hearing from me. We're not sitting around waiting for some pandemic to be over, sitting around waiting for some official to give us some green light so we can just kind of meander back in and hopefully do life like it was. God has said it's time for new wine. We have new wineskins. This world needs the church. This world needs the gospel. In fact, God has said the only reason he hasn't come back yet is he's patient because he doesn't want anybody to perish. He doesn't want you to perish. He doesn't want your neighbor to perish. He wants them to hear the good news. And now's not the time to be scared. Now's not the time to be overly sentimental or nostalgic. Now is the time to embrace God. You pour in us the new wine. You form in us the new wineskins. You help us be the church that you've called us to be for this people and this time. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you. Thank you for your word. I thank you for your church. I thank you that you unashamedly love your church with all of our flaws. But Christ, you never pull back from us. You're cleaning us. 
You're making us ready for that day. Lord, until that day, would we embrace this day? Would we be the church you've called us to be? Would we step forward with enthusiasm and excitement? Lord, we thank you for this spirit-led work. We pray that we would hold on to what is important from the past. But Father, we pray we would embrace the new that you want to do in the future. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.